This is the City of Refuge, Thomaston, Georgia, Sunday morning podcast. The following is a live recorded sermon by Pastor Jeff Deal. Choose a word or allow a word to be chosen for them. They believed by God for the year. And then they spread that out to their families, and then they spread that out to their churches, and now it's, uh, it's a pretty, pretty well-known and popular thing. <clears throat> and it's been powerful in my life over the last three years, and it's been powerful in the lives of um, people who are associated with City of Refuge, whether that's uh, staff people, residents, volunteers, board members, uh, or otherwise. And... Um, so this year, for the first time, uh, Bruce, my brother, chose an organizational one word for the year, and that word is together. So that's why we're talking about this, and then I've challenged you over the last couple of years, and I'm challenging you again this year to go through the one word process and to land on a word for yourself for the year. And once in a while, I'll, I'll bring up the subject, and we'll revisit and see where we are with it. The idea is for you to have an experience with your word throughout the year. And the process, briefly, is to look in, to do self-evaluation, to determine where am I in life, what's going on with me, what does my relationship with God look like, what does my relationship with others look like, what's my uh, role as a servant in the kingdom, what does that look like right now. And then look up and believe that God will give you a word that's going to impact you for the coming year and cause you to impact other people and my word for 2021 is the word new and uh, I just uh, anticipate it's like I get up in the mornings just anticipating that there is new stuff that's on the way for me and for us and um, and then once you've looked in and you've looked up then you look out and you determine to the best of your capabilities now but obviously a lot of it's going to open up for you as time goes on, but you get an idea for how this one word is going to cause you to to be different in your life, in your witness, in your work, in the coming year. So that's what one word is all about. And as I said, the organizational word is the word together. And from the time I first heard him say it, I knew it was right. I just felt it it just was confirmed in my own spirit. This is right for us at this time, and, uh, and I'm bringing that down here because we are part of City of Refuge. It's not a separate thing. We are part of it. We're just a different location, and so I decided to talk about it last week and, uh, and just knew after last week, and those of you who were here probably walked away saying, well, he was a little bit stirred up this morning because uh, you know, I got a little bit more intense and energetic maybe than usual, but I knew that we're on to something and we need to, we need to hang out there for a little bit. We don't need to get in a hurry here and miss anything. So we're going to hang around with the word together and with the idea and the, the principle of unity for as long as we need to. I think that it at least is going to take us through to Easter and maybe beyond. And so um, once I started meditating on this and studying it and praying about it, 
I just realized what a deep well that we're into with it. As a matter of fact, I think it's a better comparison than a well would be maybe a lake or potentially an ocean. Because when you start digging into God's Word around the idea of unity and togetherness, you can't find an end to it. At least I haven't so far. And so potentially, I mean, you can, you can help me if, if you think maybe not, but I think potentially it is something that started in the garden in this beautiful harmony that happened that God set up between himself at the center and man, his highest creation, and the rest of natural creation. And just this beautiful, perfect, three-part harmony that existed in the beginning. If you read Genesis 1 and 2, you'll see it. You'll feel it. You'll experience it if you'll open up your heart to it. What does that say to us? It says that that's the heart of God for us, right? That's the heart of God for the world is unity, harmony. What, what comes as a result of that unity and harmony? All sorts of wonderful things, not the least of which is this thing called peace. You ever wonder where peace went to and why it went somewhere? I'm starting to believe that peace left us because of the fracture in the harmony that God had established. And I have long said that of all the commodities that were lost, when man chose a path of disobedience and was expelled from the garden, that the greatest commodity that was lost was the commodity of peace. We have not had it since that moment. You ever think about that? Since that moment, when even Adam chose disobedience, we have never had complete peace since then. If you don't believe it, go back to the story, read the account of them choosing disobedience, and see what happens as the very next thing. What happens? God comes to the garden, is walking through the garden, as I'm sure He often did. But He knows that something is wrong. Why are they hiding? All of a sudden, the idea of hiding indicates what? An absence of peace. We're no longer at peace to just function naturally in this harmonious place that God has created for us. Now we've got to shift it up and do something that's in the shadows. Right? All of a sudden, they're not comfortable with themselves the way He created them, so they have to adjust. 
and the adjustments continue to siphon out the peace. How do you think Eve and Adam are feeling in their hearts and in their spirits while all of this is going on? Do you think there's this tremendous sense of contentment and peace still in them that they've always had? No. You can bet your last dollar that that's gone. And it never fully comes back. We're in 2021, and it still has not come back. We pray for peace. We want peace. We talk about peace. We have peace accords and peace agreements and peace this and peace that. And perfect peace never comes back to us. Why? Because what you have to do is you have to go back. And you have to evaluate why was peace lost. And if you can land on why peace was lost, then you know what the solution is to getting peace back. Because in order to get back what was lost, you have to reestablish what was broken. You have to see what was broken, healed, and fixed, and restored. Y'all following me? So if the loss of harmony was the cause of the loss of the commodity of peace, then what is it that will cause us to once again find perfect peace? The reestablishment of harmony. Unity. Togetherness. And this is what we as human beings for centuries and millennia have refused to do, to submit ourselves one more time to the harmony that God is still offering just like He did in the beginning. But if we did, if we did, one human being at a time just made the decision, I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of bickering. I'm tired of killing my fellow man. I'm tired of arguing over petty nothingness. I'm tired of just always trying to get my way. You know, you, you, you don't have to look far. Look at the political system in the United States of America. You will see a perfect picture of what selfishness will do to a people. Where it's all about me getting my own way. Right, wrong, or indifferent. It's no longer about pursuing what's best for the general population. It's about getting my way and I'll run all over you and I'll kill you if I have to to make sure I get my way. The reestablishment of harmony is absolutely paramount if we expect to ever achieve any significant level of peace. I don't think I could interview anybody in this room who wouldn't say I'd love to see the United States at peace and our government and our, our, our military at rest because there's no fighting, no war, no nothing going on like that. I want to see it. But we go home and we won't even make a commitment to live in peace with the people who live under the same roof we live under. This woman over here and I have been married for 33 years, and uh, we've had about 23, uh, no, we've had about 10 years of wedded bliss. You won't get any lives out of me. 
You won't get any lies out of me. We have not had 33 years of perfect harmony. You won't stand up, and if you do, you're a liar at my funeral and say he was the best husband in the world. He never raised his voice to his wife or kids. He never argued with them. He never criticized anybody. That's a bunch of hogwash because I've done it all. I've done it all. But let me tell you what I've done in the last 10 years or so is I've made a commitment that I just don't want a lack of harmony and peace in my household. So you know what I do more than I've ever done before? I say I'm sorry. I say it a whole lot of times when I'm not even wrong, but I say I'm sorry, and I'm sorry for saying that. And I submit, and, I, and I'm not a dish rag. she'll tell you that, but I've just decided that just most of what we fight over and argue over is just not worth fighting over and arguing over. We don't get anywhere with it. We certainly don't create a spirit of harmony in the household, which results in tremendous peace in the household. We are so much quicker to forget it and forgive it and move on than we used to be. And if I'm not going to start right there in the most important human relationship in my life, then what else do I expect to happen? To expect it to happen on bigger levels with more people would be hypocritical if I'm not going to start it right there. Together, if it's what was broken, it's what has to be fixed. If it's what resulted in the loss of peace, then that's what we have to go to to find healing and to mend and to rebuild and to restore if we want to get peace back. So we'll go to the Scripture really may only deal with the same two we dealt with last week, but I got a whole, I got a page full of them. This is only the tip of the iceberg, like I said, in, of what you can find when you start digging around looking for things that are related to peace and unity and harmony and togetherness in the Scripture. But Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Can you feel the peace in that? <clears throat> Good, pleasant, living together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if, it is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. If I, could, if, if, if I could just have a personal minute with the psalmist who wrote these words, I'd kiss him flush on the mouth. Because this is a place you can go to where it doesn't matter what's going on with you. It doesn't matter how hard things are right now. It doesn't matter what's upside down. You can go to this, and if you go to it by the Spirit, wide open for the Lord to deal with you on it, it just washes you over with tremendous peace and satisfaction and comfort and hope because you know through all the positive words that are in these three short verses, there is healing. There is truth. There's a reality that a whole lot of things that have been lost and messed up and broken in our lives can be restored and healed and made as good as they were in the beginning. 
how good, pleasant it is when we dwell together in unity. <coughs> Listen, I don't know if this is real or not, but Briggs told me before church that he's started putting a recording again and putting the podcast out. And that, how many did you say? 6,000 listens per episode. See, the pandemic has caused people who are not getting out going to church now to start digging around and finding stuff online to listen to, to encourage them. And you, if you have the podcast app, you can go in there and, and, um, and just search. You can search a word, you can search a title, you can search a person's name. And you can find all kinds of stuff. So I'm not saying they know about me and I become all of a sudden become somebody important. I'm just saying people are searching and looking for stuff to listen to, to encourage them, to bless them. And so we're few in number. But if we put things like this, these messages out, and 6,000 people are listening to them, this is what the church needs to hear. This is what God's people need to hear. Is what is it? What are the elements that it will take to get us where we say we want to go? Because I, I firmly believe that almost all Christian people, at least kingdom-minded people, want there to be a spirit of unity in the church. They want there to be togetherness. They want there to be harmony and peace. But we're just not doing the right things to get there. And so we talk about how important it is to do it, but then we have to be very practical in how to get there. Let's look at, let's look at Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6. <clears throat> As a Prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. So you know the fruits of the Spirit, right? Fruit or fruits, or depending on how you're approaching it. Humility and gentleness. If you... See, these things always have formulas. I can hear this today and go out of here and say, all right, that's it, by golly, I'm making a commitment right now that I'm going to have unity and togetherness in my family and it's going to spill out all over everybody. But you know what? There's a formula involved. There's a recipe that has to be considered. Unless you are willing early and often to insert the ingredients of humility and gentleness, you're not going to get to togetherness. It has to be approached. You see, I can say, Tracy, you know what? We're going we're gonna to be together and we're going to live in unity and harmony and peace is going to be created out of it. And if you're not with me on this, we're going to have a lot of problems because I'm telling you this is what we're going to do. And that pretty red Jeep you're driving out there that you want me to buy, you get on board with me with this or you can forget about that. Is that the right approach? Well, that, I think that's going to be counterproductive to what I'm trying to accomplish. 
humility and gentleness. And then there's another word, Brother Danny, that has to be put in there as an ingredient. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. What does it mean to bear with somebody? It means to put up with their junk sometimes. It means to not have an expectancy that they are going to do everything 100% right all of the time. And that when they don't, you don't immediately go defensive. You don't immediately turn and attack. You don't immediately become accusatory. Rather, you bear with them. You be patient and you walk along and you grow together in love. Making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now there's a powerful truth. There's the powerful truth. Because the unity that has to be achieved in order for all other unity to be achieved is unity of the Spirit. Is my heart in accord with His heart? Is my spirit aligned with the Holy Spirit? Am I living a unified life in my relationship with my Father through the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit? If not, this other unity is not going to happen. The bond of peace comes through the unity of the Spirit. And then he says this, there is one, everybody say one, one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. <coughs> One. It's a reason why Paul repeats the word one so many times. He could have just said, there is one body and spirit and hope and faith and baptism and God and Father. But no, he intentionally inserts the, one, the word one over and over and over because that word is a powerful indication of unity that we're all together. We're not splintered and separated out. We're all doing our own thing. We're all formulating our own doctrine. What? I hate the word doctrine. I hate the word dogma. I hate the word theology. I hate the word denomination. I publicly declare today that I hate all those words because in my mind, in my heart, all those words represent walls and divisions and ideas to separate us. There is one God. Let's quit worrying about whether or not uh, this, this dispensation is right or wrong. And let's quit worrying about whether or not these gifts of the Spirit should be used or not used. And let's quit worrying about whether we're supposed to sprinkle or dunk when we baptize somebody. Let's quit worrying about all that. You can have your own opinion about it, but let's quit worrying about it. Let's quit arguing about it. Let's quit investing any time or energy into those things. Let's commit ourselves to unity in the Spirit which will create unity among us, and God will show us the proper path in all those things day by day as we get up and say yes to what he's doing. Period. 
Put that on the podcast. I'm going to skip to Acts chapter 2. And we're going to go here every week, I imagine. We're, we're probably going to go here every week because this is practical, in your face, real people like me and you who've had an encounter with the Lord, who said, yes, that's what I want. I'm devoting my life to it. We can identify with these people. Okay? Human beings. What's happened just before these few verses is that the 120 have had the experience in the upper room. Remember Jesus told them. <coughs> he said, I want you to go to Jerusalem. I want you to go to this upstairs room. And I want you to wait. And the Holy Spirit's going to come to you. And the Holy Spirit came. Why? Because they obeyed Him and were told that they were all in harmony. Look, the Holy Spirit does not do His work when we are not functioning in harmony. Here people say all the time, I'd love to see the miracles like we used to see. I'd love to see the power demonstrated like we used to see. Well, maybe if we didn't have so much division and, and gossiping and backbiting and all that going on in the church, we would see more of the power of God demonstrated. So that's what's happened. <coughs> and then they're speaking in languages where everybody who's there, and this is a feast, the Feast of Pentecost. That's why it's called the Day of Pentecost. Because, and on, and on those feast days, people would travel from all over different places to come to Jerusalem for the feast. So you've got tens of thousands of people all over the place, and they're coming from different countries. And some of them speak different languages, but they hear these folks who have walked out of that room speaking the message of the gospel in their language. And they're like, how is that happening? Aren't these people Jews? Aren't they from Galilee? How are they speaking my language? And then the skeptics step in and say, well, they're drunk, which is kind of a funny thing because I didn't know getting drunk could cause you to speak Greek. But I guess I've heard people speaking some things, but I didn't know it was real languages. And they're like, they're just drunk. They've been partying all night, don't know what they're doing. And Peter stands up. And he begins to preach. And he begins to tell them, no, we're not drunk. We're not drunk. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. Here's what's going on. And he tells them about Jesus, the baby who was born in Bethlehem, who grew up and who revealed to mankind that he was the Messiah sent from God. And that he came to bring an opportunity for redemption and forgiveness and to show people how to get back into good relationship with God, their creator. And when Peter finishes preaching, he gives them an invitation to join, to repent of their sins and to become 
to become part of this new movement, the followers of Jesus Christ. And 3,000 individuals are drawn by the Spirit and moved and make a decision and say, yes, I'm in. Verse 42, we pick, on, pick up on what they do next. And this is still as relevant right now as it was then. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. So listen, because we, we need to not run over these things and not consider them and give them very high levels of importance. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Okay, I don't call myself an apostle. I don't call myself anything except Jeff. But I'm here to teach. I'm here to give it away. I don't write sermons. I don't have outlines. Sometimes I'll have a few notes. Sometimes I don't. But here's what I do. I sit with the Lord every morning. I dig into his word. I commune with him through prayer, which is me talking to him and me listening for him to talk to me. And I meditate throughout my days on the things that I have considered with him that morning. When I come in here on Sundays or whenever it is, all I'm doing is giving away to you whatever he's been giving to me. I'm not criticizing any way anybody else does it. Got an email one time from a pastor. He said, I know. His letter said, I know that the hardest thing you do all week is to prepare a sermon for Sunday. So what I'm doing is I'm offering to you for $99 my 50 best sermons. I thought about writing him back, but I like unity, so I didn't. I'm like, number one, preparing to talk to people on Sunday is not even a chore for me. I told him at City Refuge in Atlanta a couple weeks ago, Bruce was running late. I said, he may get here, he may not. doesn't matter because I can preach at the drop of a hat and I'll be the one to drop the hat. So we're okay with that. It's not a job. It's not a chore. I don't believe that any person who sits with the Lord on a consistent basis, digs into his word, listens for his voice, cries out to him, and meditates on that relationship, is going to have a problem talking about the Lord. Now, I'm not saying everybody's comfortable getting up front and grabbing a microphone and doing it, but I don't think that person will have any trouble talking to other people about the Lord. Listen to the apostles' teaching. If you can't be here, there's a podcast. And to fellowship. This is something that we've always been pretty good at around here. You know, COVID knocked everybody sideways with that. But we love fellowship here. We love to break bread together. We love to talk. We love to hang out. And as soon as we can get back to doing that on a really regular basis, we'll be doing it. To the breaking of bread and to prayer. Breaking bread together is vastly important. Hanging out, eating you know, food is at the center of God work in people. Without food, we die. And he wants us to get together and share food together. 
Everything about City of Refuge started with sack lunches to the homeless. And it went to hot meals out on the street. Then it went to bringing people in. Then it went to the safe haven twice a week. Then it went to this and went to that. And we still feed people 20,000 hot prepared meals per month. Nearly 300,000 meals last year out of our kitchen. We need to break bread together and to prayer. And that's you personally, individually, that's you in small groups, and that's us here together. Every piece is important. And what happened? Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were, what? Together. Now, a lot of them actually moved into the same building, brought all their belongings and just piled it up. We're not going to do that, but what we do need to do is to have this spirit of togetherness to where we have a spirit of love and a spirit of compassion, a spirit of benevolence, a spirit of sharing what we have and what we've been blessed with. And they had everything in common. That has to be a God work, right? You can't have common minds, common hearts with a big bunch of other human beings unless God is in that. And unless we've walked through the process and unless the ingredients in the recipe are right. And they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. God results happen when we submit ourselves to God's plan. God's plan is humility, gentleness, God's plan is compassion, forgiveness. God's plan is for us to love each other, embrace each other. We don't have to always have the same opinion, but we have to be able to work through any difference of opinions and respect each other and continue to lock arms day by day to impact our community and our world. It is these things that will lead to the unity that we're after. Because those things, if we choose them, those are acts of obedience. It's disobedience that fractured the spirit of unity. It's only obedience to the good things, the words and the ways of God that will restore the unity to us. And when we, when we do that, when we make that decision, we're going to see the favor of the Lord, which is blessing, which is wonders, which is signs that He's among us, which is those who need Him coming and finding Him because finally the church looks like something I want to be part of. Yeah, I mean, we just have to be fair and honest with each other for too long. A lost world, a confused and mixed up world, 
that's looking for some hope and some truth and something real and genuine to belong to has not found that in the church. That's why they don't come. Because they don't find it in the church. There are a lot of crazy people out there that are going to do whatever they do regardless. You know, I think, I think there's an element of population in the city of Portland, Oregon that must just be nuts because it doesn't seem to matter what happens, who gets elected, who goes to jail, who does this or that. They just keep on doing what they're doing, tearing up their own city, burning stuff down, trying to do away with law enforcement. <laughs> well, you got that group. To them, I say, whatever. I don't, I don't, you know, I can't do anything about you. But I believe the, the huge majority of citizens, of human beings, really want truth, and they want fulfillment, and they want peace, and they want unity, and they want love. They want a sense of forgiveness. They don't want to be judged walking in the door, you know? And if the church was that, people would be flocking to the church. But the church is not that. But I think we're making a commitment here that that's who we are. That's what we're going to be. We, we have to commit to it day by day because sometimes you find yourself in a very deep hole and it's a process to climb out of it. Process to climb out of it. So we make that commitment every day. <coughs> I want us to be characterized as an Acts chapter 2 church body. So I'm just going to finish up by saying that I've been praying and thinking and considering, going to have some conversations with some people. Because going into spring and, and all, there, I want us to be doing some stuff, maybe some stuff we haven't done before in this community. We um, have been on a slowdown like everybody else has. Now, all this stuff has impacted us as, as well. But I'm not just going to sit around waiting months and months and years for everything to line up perfectly to be doing kingdom outreach in the community. Okay, I'm not even going to wait for the land to be ready for us to start building stuff over there. We're not just going to sit on our hands and wait for something else to open up. We're going to go with what we got now, what we can do now. Y'all okay with that? Because we, we have a real responsibility in this community, I think, to be a lighthouse. Uh, the steeple has taken, you know, thousands of years to, to fix. Um, Sully hired his friends to help us with it, and his friends just... Now, we appreciate... <laughs> we appreciate everything that's been done on it, but... Um, but we're, we're getting there, right? It's going to be done. And what it is is we, we couldn't replace the steeple, all right, because that's way, way more money than we have. And I would question whether that would be a good stewardship of our funds. If, if it took you $50,000 to put a steeple on that thing, what can you do with $50,000, right? So... So we're going to spend significantly less than that. But what we're going to have on there is a beautiful white, um, what, what do you call it? 
window box. So it's, a, it's you know, it's good size. It's sitting on a trailer back there behind the gym. Um, it's a good size because obviously this is a big building. You need something of significant size sitting up there. And, um, but it's glass on all four sides, and it's, got a, it's going to have a light in it. And it's really symbolic, I think, of who we are, that we're here to be light, which will lead to hope, which will produce transformation. And um, I, I just have this tremendous sense that we are here to be light and to, to be love and to reach out and bless people. And it's not news, but just a reminder. <clears throat> and so I don't know exactly what everything's going to look like at this point, but we're going to be doing some stuff, likely some stuff we haven't done in the past, uh, unique stuff to reach out in this community and to bless individuals and families. And we're going to be unified in it, right? We're going to be unified in it because y'all know how strongly this thing is bound together. And just, you know, the minute the spirit of disunity shows up, I'm going to show it the door in a great big hurry. So that's just, that's just not who we're going to be. We're going to be the real church and Acts 2 kind of a church. And, uh, and we're going to see what the Lord wants to make out of all that. Father, thank you that uh, you just uh, continue to shine a light on truth so that we can find it. And um, we're committed to digging, to looking, to meditating, searching, reading, praying, and just finding it little by, little by little. Thank you for this group of people and their hearts to do good works and it requires a spirit of unity, and you're leading us on that pathway, and the ingredients are going into the recipe, and we're going to see you do tremendous work out of it. So bless your people this week with your peace that comes out of unity, with your power, with your protection from all the schemes and the distractions the enemy throws up, and, and your provision that you would meet all of our needs. And um, I love you. I give you thanks that you've been with us today by your spirit and you're doing God work in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. So before we go, I set this bread and juice up here for us to have just to sort of glance at here and there as we share. And I'm doing that just because we, we need a focal point. We need something to draw us in. And th there's a person who's always at the center, and it's the person of Jesus. He always has to be at the center. The song we sang, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. He's alive. And this will remind us of the brokenness of his body and the shedding of his blood. But then we also know that he rose from the dead and he is alive.